But in general, the parents' job become adults to do adult things and pay their own bills and buy their own food. Hint, hint. And so I want us to consider the preparation that is involved in that long 18-year, maybe, 24-year, maybe, 30-year, I don't know. It's a little long. Um, that process of preparation. It's challenging. It's challenging not just for the parents, but for the children as well, as they become adults. The same is true for God, because God's desire is to prepare us. Jesus trained and prepared His disciples for His ultimate departure, right? And we read about that. We see it very clearly. God is always in the business of preparing us for greater works. This preparation is so needful. It is so important. And mainly because we don't come prepared. We don't come all put together. We have all kinds of things that God has to change in us and to shape us and to make us ready to not only just go out of the house, but to make us ready for greater works, the things that he's calling us to. He has a lot of work to, to do because we as humans, um, how do I say this nicely? Um, well, we just have a lot of work. God has a lot of work to do in us. I was, I was reminded of this, of just, you know, as human beings, we're just... I want to say stupid, um, so I guess I did. I don't, I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I'm there with you. Just human beings in general, we're just not the brightest. Um, we need to be, we're created in the image of God for crying out loud. We need to be, um, we need to handle life better. And of course, ultimately, the only way we can do that is through God working in us. I'm reminded of just the absurdity. Just look at the, the landscape and the culture and the society that we're in. And, and what do you see? You see just absurd things that human people, human beings do. Not us, of course. It's always someone else. Um, I was reminded here, it seems like Every single day, now we have the Super Bowl coming up, and, and so it's almost become a national holiday even around the world. You know, it's a big event, whatever. But isn't it interesting that every single day, if you're paying attention to the, the, the dumb social media, that there is a national day of every single day now? It's insane of the national days. It's national, um, you know, Sons Day, National Daughter Day, National Pizza Day. Wasn't that something recently? Okay, yes. And what did, what did Nick and I do? We went to Mexican. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> There's always, it's, to me, it, it, uh, it illustrates the absurdity of, I'm not, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not against having special days. But literally, I was reading through some of the national days that are out there. They're, they're just ridiculous. I mean, National Squirrel Day? <laughs> literally, that's a thing. So... You know, I like, I like the squirrels that come into our yard, and our, our dogs do not, and uh, they let that be known, but National Squirrel Day. I, I'm sure there's a National Pet Day, Dog Day, National whatever day. Um, national Pin Day, you know, we'll have a National Pin Day. National Paper Day, I'm sure, is also one. 
National Shoe Day. Here we go. I'm, I'm getting a, a little... I'm illustrating the absurdity of how we act at times as human beings. All the reason for our understanding and to really drill down into this subject today that God has a lot of work to do to prepare us to do greater works or to be involved in eternal kingdom priorities that make a difference that have nothing to do with national whatever day, but more important things. And so last week we considered how the ministry of the Spirit pursues our hearts and draws us to Jesus' heart through His conviction of our sin and our need for Jesus, through the Spirit's testifying to us about Jesus and testifying to the world about Jesus, the Holy Spirit's role of teaching us to understand and know Jesus, and ultimately to to glorify the Son as well. And so we talked about the Spirit's role of pursuing our hearts so that we can truly see Jesus for who He is. I pray that Again, as we leave this place today, that our, our thoughts and our minds wouldn't be about all the stuff going on around us. As we, as we said last week, that, that when we have the right perspective on the, the role of the Spirit of God, and as He pursues us and draws us to Jesus, our eyes will turn to Him. Remember the phrase, eyes up. Eyes up. Get your eyes off of whatever's going on around, eyes on Jesus. And so with that heart and with that intent in mind, we want to continue with the ministry of the Spirit today. The Spirit's not pursuit of us now, but His preparation in us. And so I want our hearts to be connected to this one simple uh, big idea or theme. The Holy Spirit is actively preparing us to look more and more like Jesus. And when we look more and more like Jesus, when we're prepared... And he continues to actively do that. And we look more and more conformed and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Then we are prepared for greater works. Then we are involved in the things that he cares about. Then we're talking about him and telling others that don't know about Jesus. Telling them about Jesus. We're investing in things that are of eternal value. And so with that in mind, if you're there in Romans chapter 8, I want to read the first 11 verses of chapter 8. And this will sort of set the stage for our time as we consider the Spirit's preparation in us. Follow along as I begin in verse 1 of Romans 8. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What a tremendous promise. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit 
think about things that please the Spirit. So let So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. A lot there, a lot to absorb and to take in. And let's pray so that we can do just that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time today. Thank you for this service that we can truly worship you. We pray that we would continue to worship you in our own lives throughout the week and in the different things that we are a part of and our priorities and the, and the time spent with you alone. But Lord, we counted a privilege that you have instructed us to gather corporately together to worship you. And so we pray that this time would be for you and it would be for your glory, that we would, uh, as an act of worship, listen to what you have to say to us. We've sung songs about you. We've been reminded of the truths of your word through those songs. We've engaged in prayer and we've given back to you a portion of what you have blessed us with. All as acts of worship. And so I pray that as an act of our continued worship, we would now allow you to engage our hearts and minds and listen to what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would By that, prepare us for greater works. Prepare us for the things that you have called us to. Prepare us to step into obedience and maybe doing something that we haven't been doing, but you are calling us to, and you're calling us to step out in faith. Lord, whatever it is that you are instructing us, I pray that we would hear, that we would listen, and that we would follow and obey and trust you each step. So we thank you, God, for what you're going to do in our time. I pray that we would have a clearer understanding of your Holy Spirit's role in our life. And and Father, we thank you for the Spirit of God. You love us so much that you sent your Spirit to live with us, to indwell us, to bring new life to us, and to be that seal upon our life guaranteeing our eternal salvation. We are so thankful. Thank you for your love. And it's all because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we want to talk about the preparation of the Spirit of God. And again, this is not uh, um, the, the overall everything. We don't have time to cover every area that the Spirit of God prepares us because you could probably argue that that's an infinite uh, topic and, and conversation. But I want to cover three main ministries of the Holy Spirit that I believe prepare us for greater works of what he wants to do in us and then through us. And it starts, first of all, the Holy Spirit's 
actively preparing us as he, first of all, indwells us. Now you say that's fairly basic, and it is, but it is absolutely foundational. You also understand, if you've been here over the past couple weeks, that a few weeks ago we talked about the indwelling Spirit of God, and so this isn't brand new information for you. As we talked about having an unshakable foundation and being rooted in the Spirit, one of those main roots was the fact that the Spirit of God indwells the believer. And so I want us to consider that uh, in, in somewhat detail today, but not belaboring it too much, this concept again and remembering that the Creator of the universe, the Spirit of the living God, comes at the moment that we cry out in faith to Jesus and receive Him and believe that that His sacrifice on the cross was enough to pay the penalty for our sin, and we, we have that transaction of faith. At that moment, the Spirit of God comes and He makes His home in us, never to leave us. He indwells us. And so we allow Him, we invite Him to come in, and we'll talk about all those ramifications. Um, it's you know, we, we invite a lot of things into our lives, and some of them aren't good, right? We listen to people's uh, bad advice. Uh, we, we hear people's criticism, and we let it affect us negatively. We eat uh, bad food, like bad Chinese food, and it goes in, and then we regret it, right? Uh, afterwards, and we can't wait till that's done and over with. Well, that's not the way with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes and He indwells us, and it's a great thing. It's an amazing, miraculous, supernatural thing. It's so wonderful. And so let's talk about that just for a moment, that He's preparing us as He indwells us. First of all, He indwells us by faith. And so we talked about that already, but we read this in Romans chapter 8. Notice verse 11, the last verse that we read. Notice the first part. It says, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Very simple, very straightforward, but very important. Paul is writing to the believers in Rome and he's saying, you believers that know Christ is your Savior, the Spirit of God lives in you. Don't forget it. So it should shape the way that we live. It should prepare us to do things that honor Him because He lives in us. He not only lives in us by faith in Christ, or He indwells us. Secondly, He indwells us promising a resurrection. So it's by faith, first of all. But as He indwells us, this indwelling brings a promise with it. Isn't that nice? It's a promise of a resurrection. Notice the, the last half of that verse. So the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Now notice, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal body by this same Spirit living within you. And so what is the work of the Spirit of God and His ministry in us as He indwells us? It's not only just a confirmation that we belong to Christ, but that we have now resurrected life. And so there's, I believe, a twofold interpretation of this. A, a current one, presently, that we have been raised to new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, For uh, those that have been... Nope. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... What does it say? He's a new creation. And so we have been raised to new life because the Spirit of God comes in and dwells us. But there's also a promise that He will raise our mortal bodies 
at some point in the future where we will become like Him and where we will will shed this body of sin and decay and we will receive a glorified body. And that promise comes from the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. We too are promised to be resurrected to eternal life because of Christ, because of the Spirit indwelling us. All right? Two things. We're indwelt by the Spirit by faith in Christ. We, his indwelling promises a resurrection. Third, His indwelling is permanent. We've talked about this already. We'll talk about it briefly. The Spirit of God comes into the believer, and in the New Testament, in the age of the church, the Spirit of God says, I come and I will not leave. The Spirit came and went in the Old Testament for various reasons, for His own purposes. Uh, we, we see that and understand that. But in the New Testament from Acts 2 on, and we're still in the church age, the Spirit of God indwells us permanently. And again, depending on how you were raised or what you were taught or what church you attended, uh, there is different teachings on this. Some churches do teach that the Spirit will come and go or the Spirit comes on those that are water baptized or those um, that do different things. And if you sin, then the Spirit leaves and so on. But what the Bible says, what God's Word says, is that the Holy Spirit He comes and He will never leave you. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. The advocate is the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said He'll never leave you. And I don't think that was just simply a promise to the disciples, but all who would become disciples, followers of Jesus, including you and me. Later on in Romans chapter 8, if you read on through that, towards the end of that chapter, you see some wonderful promises about God's permanent love for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Verse 35 and then verse 38. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. The Spirit of God indwells us permanently. We can never be separated from who He is and what He has done. One more thing about the Spirit's indwelling us as believers. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He indwells us even when we fail. How many of us take comfort in that? I know I do, because I fail. And if we're honest, we all have times as believers that we fall short, that we sin, that we make the wrong choices, that we do the things that our flesh desires and not the things that the Holy Spirit who indwells us desires. But that does not change the fact that the Spirit of God continues to indwell us. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? And remember the context, Paul is talking to carnal Corinthian Christians who were not doing what they, would, they, they should be doing. They were living in sin. And Paul was correcting them and pointing out and asking them to repent and turn from their sin, reminding them that the Spirit of God indwells them, that you are a temple of the living God. So don't unite your body with a prostitute, because that's what they were doing, because the Spirit of God is indwelling you. So in a weird sense, you're uniting the Spirit of God in a sinful way when you're connecting with a prostitute and doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And so the reminder there is even though, even when we do fail, when we do sin, 
He still lives in us. He's still there. And so it helps us make better choices. So what does this truth speak to your own heart today? Again, I pray that it wouldn't just be a reminder of information, of truth, of facts. But what does these, these truths say to your heart? To me, there's a couple things. Very simply, it should comfort us. It also should convict us. It should also bring contentment and even celebration of what we will one day have. We look forward to that day. I know some of you have told me many times, and I I feel the same way, I look forward to that day when I'll be with Jesus and I'll receive a glorified body. And so the health problems, the aches and pains, the emotional and, and spiritual problems and the things that weigh us down and, and ultimately that, that ongoing temptation and propensity to give in to that temptation and sin, all of that will be done. Do you look forward to that day? Uh, what, a, what a way to celebrate God's promises simply because the ministry of the Spirit is that He indwells us. Well, let's go on because there's more. There's a second active pursuing of the Holy Spirit. He pursues us and He equips us in this pursuit as He not only indwells us, but as He controls us. Now, naturally, we don't like to be controlled, do we? Um, It is not part of our DNA. It's not part of our makeup. We as human beings, even at a very young age, you mothers of young children can attest Your young children do not like to be controlled, do they? They want to do things their way. They want to eat when they want. They want to be changed when they want. They want to sleep when they want. They want to be awake when they want. And it doesn't change as as we age, right? As we get older. We still have these opinions. We still have these strong urges. We want to be in charge. And so that's the struggle of the, the human sinful nature. But... The answer to our struggle is the Spirit of God. He, in a loving way, wants to control us, to really set us free from being controlled by our old sin nature. Because the argument is, well, I want to be in charge and I want to do my own thing. And even as adults, I don't want to surrender to the Lordship of Christ because then I can't do my own thing. But do you realize the, the, the fallacy in that logic or that what you think is logic? You think that you're being free to do what you want, but in reality, you are more controlled than ever. Ultimately, by the enemy. You're controlled by your old sinful nature and doing the things that the enemy wants you to do. You are more controlled and you are more a slave than if you would surrender to Jesus and allow Him to control you. Because what we see in God's Word is that we're set free when we allow Jesus, when we allow His Spirit to control us. So two things I want us to highlight as we think about the ministry of the Spirit controlling our lives. First of all, He controls our natural impulses. And I don't know about you, but I think we're reminded every single day, maybe every hour of the day, how hard it is to control our natural inclinations. What we think. What we say. How many of us constantly have this thing, this foot, inserted into our mouth, right? Not, not you. I, I do. I know I do. It's, it's, it's how do we control these inclinations and impulses? 
Well, the Spirit of God has promised to come and to change and to control us. Listen to what it says in Galatians 5.16. You see it there on the screen. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Did you see the key to this? It's one little three-letter word, let. It's a choice. We have to decide to let the Spirit of God control our lives. He isn't going to take over unless we give Him the permission to do so. And it is a moment-by-moment decision. Are we willing to do that? And we read some verses earlier. I want to read them again. Notice in Romans 8, the first two verses and then verses 5 and 6. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power, notice this, of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And so we're set free in Christ so that controlling domination is not there. Verse 5 expands on it. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. They're controlled by those sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that are please, that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting... You see that again? Underline that, whatever your version says. Letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. And so we as believers have a choice. The indwelling Spirit of God comes and His ministry is to control us, to direct our thinking, to control our impulses. Secondly, there's another thing that he controls, and again, we could spend days and weeks on this of what he controls, but two main things. He controls our impulses. Secondly, he controls our fear. People, we are a a group of people that fear, and we could create a very long list of things that we actually fear, and some of you are probably thinking in in your own mind, well, I don't fear anything. I'm not afraid. (laughs) Yes, you are. And the enemy knows what we fear most. He is a, a very good student of us. He watches us. And he knows how easy it is we trip over certain fears that we might have. And you know them. 2 Timothy Verse, chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says this amazing promise. You notice it there on the screen. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I'll read it one more time. What a promise. What a truth that we need to live out in our life. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You see, in our own flesh, our natural inclination is to worry and to fear. We run, we avoid, we, out of fear, we try to control situations so that they don't get beyond our ability to to navigate through them and to maybe shape them into what we want. Do you see what I'm saying? Fear drives so much of the decisions of our life. And we need to say, God, what what areas in my life am I being driven by fear instead of faith? 
In what ways am I, am I looking horizontally at all the things out here and I'm going to try and control this and massage that and tweak this all for the purpose of me not uh, facing this, this major fear that I might have. And you may have to think through it because a lot of us don't process it to the point where we, we know exactly what we're fearing. But in our subconscious, it is very clear and very evident that we are fearing many things. So are we going to continue to live in fear? Or are we going to say, God, you have my fears. I want to be like a Mary and I want to sit at your feet. And I don't want to be consumed with all the other things and all the worries of life. I want to put into practice Matthew 6, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that I want to worry about will be added unto me in God's timing and in his way. He'll take care of all those needs. You pursue the kingdom of God first. Why? What happens when we fear? Why is the, the ministry of the spirit of God to control us so that he, he carefully helps us not to have the inclinations that we would naturally have in our heart and which include fear. Why, why do we need to lay down our fear and give it to Jesus? Well, it's very simple. When we fear, we are irrational. We are unwise. And we react with the wrong motives, wrong choices, and wrong words. All because we fear. Instead, we're controlled and empowered. What we see here in, in Romans 8, we don't have to be controlled by our old nature that wants to fear. We are now empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit so that the opposite occurs. Now we can have sound and wise discernment that is motivated by love. That's what 2 Timothy 1.7 says. All is controlled by the Spirit of God. And we are now empowered to do what the Spirit of God is leading us to do. Prepared for greater works. Make sense? So ask this question in your own heart and we'll move on. Who or what is controlling you? It's much easier to say or to ask than to maybe come up with the right answer. And so maybe we need to take some time, even as we're sitting here, to truly, in our heart of hearts, in, in, in true honesty before the Lord, Lord, who or what is controlling me? And be okay with the answer. Because the truth is the only way that we will be set free if it's not the right answer. If something unbiblical, ungodly, that ultimately is tripping us is what controls us and what we fear and our natural inclinations and we're sort of doing and operating and looking at life from the wrong point of view. God, expose our eyes and our understanding to that so that we can allow you to change us. Who or what controls you? The Holy Spirit is preparing you for a greater work, but you and I must yield to his control over our life first. Does that mean that you can never be involved in serving the Lord until, until he's fixed everything in your life? <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that. He keeps working. And that really brings us to my third and last point today. 
The Holy Spirit actively prepares and equips us, not only as He indwells us, not only as He controls us, but the, the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful words in all of God's Word, but as He sanctifies us, as He transforms us, as He sets us apart. The word sanctify means to be set apart. We sing about that when we sing Refiner's Fire. Set apart my heart. Make me holy. Make me right with you. This word set up, sanctify means to be set apart. It has the same root word. Listen to this. This is so insightful. It has the same root word as the word saint and the word holy. And so when we are sanctified, God is saying you are a saint. You are holy. You are without fault before the Father. You're sanctified. Biblically, we see the sanctification in three specific parts, and I want to take a few moments here to explain this because it is absolutely theologically important to our understanding, and it's very biblical, and so we need to understand it. Three aspects of being sanctified by the Spirit of God. First of all, we're sanctified positionally. And so, sometimes we might use the word justification in this, in replacement of sanctified positionally, because it is something that has taken place at the moment of faith. We're placed into the family of God. We become a child of God. We are adopted. We're washed of sin's guilt and its condemnation. We are made holy and justified and righteous because of this transaction of us crying out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner and I need you. You died on the cross to pay for my sin. And we cry out in faith. In that moment, we are positionally sanctified, set apart, made holy, made right before God. Another way that you can say this, this transaction occurs when two things happen. Number one, the Father imputes Christ's righteousness to our account. Christ's sacrifice for sins and the payment that Christ made on the cross to pay for our sins, the Father imputes to our account. Our account is we're guilty and we, O oh God, our very existence, because our sin has caused us to fall short of God's glory, but through faith in Jesus' sacrifice, the Father says, I'm going to take what Jesus did and His payment for sin and apply it to your account. Okay? And so we receive Christ's righteousness to our account. Secondly, we're also taking and God imputes our sin and our guilt to Christ's account. And so he takes what we owe and the sin that condemns us and he takes it and he lays it on his only son. The only one that could pay the penalty for our sin. The father loves you and I so much that he would take our sin and lay it on his only son and pour out his wrath his just requirement for sin, and pour it out on His only Son. This is the beautiful transaction of God's imputation, the transaction that occurs. And without this exchange, you and I are damned. 
we will go to an eternity in hell unless we allow the Father through faith in the Son exchange our accounts. That's positionally sanctified, set apart, holy, now acceptable to the good, good Father. He loves us and we are loved by Him. Why? Because of Christ. Because we are sanctified positionally. Paul said it this way in Romans 15, 16. I love this verse. Listen to it. Romans 15, 16. I bring you the good news. He's talking to the Romans, telling them about the gospel that he's bringing to them. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I'm coming to you, Romans, and I'm telling you about the gospel. Why? So that you can be made holy. Not in your own efforts, not by good works, but by the Spirit of the living God. And so the ministry of the Spirit, He sanctifies us positionally so that we have a right standing before God. So our position is no longer lost, condemned, going to hell, but our position forever that is unchangeable is I am in Christ and I am now redeemed. I am saved. Sanctified positionally. Secondly, we're sanctified practically. Now, this is the ongoing, and what we often use this word in, in the Christian faith, and as we look at God's word, often when you hear the word sanctification or being sanctified, we use it in this term, the second term, of being practically or in an experiential, daily, ongoing in our life way, we are continually being sanctified or set apart or changed. Some, of, some people prefer to use the word progressively, and that's okay. Sanctified progressively. It's ongoing. It's a continued work. Hopefully it gets better and better, and we look more like Jesus and less like we did before Jesus. Make sense? So this is an experiential, ongoing work of the Spirit transforming us into the likeness of Christ. I, I love what, uh, you know, different, different men have been uh, so impactful in my life over the years, and, and there is a, a gentleman that still is in the ministry. He's in his 70s, but uh, years ago, he, he was a mentor of mine, and, and Anik and I went out and, and ministered under Ron and Wanda Thompson. They were missionaries for years and years out in Utah. And I remember Ron telling me, he gave me all kinds of good instruction, but he was talking about sanctification, and he was equating it to um, his time out uh, in the in the yard, out in the driveway, working on his vehicle. And so men and women, uh, whoever, if you ever have crawled underneath your vehicle or reached down into the engine compartment and you're working on something, if it's just changing the oil or if it's something more involved, there are a couple things that all of you know that you've experienced. And Ron was was explaining this. You, you get your tools out and you start cranking on those, those bolts and those nuts and whatever, and you and some of them are tighter than others. And every once in a while, what happens when you put just enough pressure on it? It slips, falls off. And then what happens as a result of, of the pressure as you push and it, and it slips and falls off? What happens? Busted knuckles. Someone, you got some bloody knuckles. And so Ron tells a story of him doing that at different times. And here he is, a pastor out in southern Utah. And he's out in his yard and there's there's uh, Mormon people around him, and he's trying to be a good testimony. And here he is cranking on a bolt, and he crushes his knuckles into part of the, the metal, and it doesn't give, but his knuckles do. And he yells out a yelp, and, and he didn't tell me what he said, but I got the impression that it wasn't good. Okay? 
a pastor. How, how could he, right? But this is what he said. He said he would, and he's done this more than once, obviously. He said he, he, every once in a while he, he'd take that tool, whatever it was, even if it was an expensive one, and he would just take it and he would just chuck it out into the field as far as he could. I don't know if he went out and got it later. And this is what he said. He said, in that moment of yelling and chucking, he said, I lost my sanctification. <laughs> now think about that, because it, it, it illustrates quite a bit. Believers, we can't lose our salvation. The Spirit of God indwells us, even when we sin and when we are fleshly in that moment when the knuckles are, are bleeding, we don't lose our salvation, but we can lose in that moment our sanctification, meaning our set-apartness and us uh, being shaped by the Father. In that moment, we're shaped by our flesh, and we don't look very much like a Christian. And I love that picture. This is the ongoing work, the sanctifying process. God continues to work even when we crack our knuckles, even when we chuck a tool out into the field. God continues to work. He doesn't give up on us. He says, yep, I got a lot of work to do on this guy, right? And I know that's what the father says, but in the same breath, he says, I love you, son. I get it. And I'm going to keep working on you. And that's the beauty of this sanctifying process. We belong to the father and we should more and more look and act like the father. A beautiful passage in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know better back then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. And so prayerfully, we look more and more like our Father as He begins to shape us and and to cause us to look more like his son. You can write down Colossians 1, 19, uh, 1, 9 through 11, and we see some very similar things, and it's really a prayer that Paul has for the church at Colossae that they would more and more be sanctified progressively in their walk with the Lord, okay? Lastly, the, the Holy Spirit ministers to us in such a way that he sanctifies us not just positionally or progressively or that, that ongoing practical way, but ultimately he sanctifies us perfectly. And this is where our hope lies. In Christ, our set-apart and holy position and practice will not be complete until we are made perfect. Some of you have Philippians 1.6 memorized. And I pray that if you don't, that you would take some time to look at this verse and memorize it because it's a great promise. Because sometimes we feel really bad about ourselves and we feel like, God, I'm not a very good Christian and I don't always look the way that I should look. God doesn't give up on you. He continues to work on each of us. And he says this, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work, not your work, interestingly enough, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Jesus, the Spirit of God, God the Father, they're at work in us and it's not going to be completed until we see Jesus face to face. But what a hope that is. 1 John 
chapter 3 and verse 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him. Do you want to be like Jesus? Making the right choices. Loving people the way that He loves people. Turning from temptation and looking to the Savior depending on the Lord, all these things, one day we will be like Him. And it says, for we will see Him as He really is. And then Jude 24 and 25 say, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and bring you with great joy into His glorious presence, listen to this, without a single fault. Without a single fault. Woo! I love that. I can't wait for that day without a single fault. But understand, positionally right now, even though we see a lot of flaws and we look in the mirror and every time we look in the mirror, we see more flaws, right? That's just the way it is. But positionally in Jesus, we are perfect. We are a saint. We are holy. We are clean. We are pure because of Jesus. That's why we're accepted by the Father. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, in part, is His preparation in us. And so, again, as we close, what is the Spirit of God doing in your heart to prepare you for greater works? What has He been preparing, what has he been preparing you for? Are you allowing Him to mold you? Are you allowing Him to shape you? Are you willing to let him shape you the way that he wants to, not the way that you want to? See, I think that's where we, we trip a lot. We, we have an idea of the way that we want to be shaped, and we think that, of course, that's what God wants, and God says, no, that's not what I want. Are we willing to let him shape us the way that he desires? Let, let me say it a different way. Are we willing to let God shape others the way that he desires? Or are we playing the Holy Spirit in their lives as well? The Holy Spirit is actively preparing us to look more and more like Jesus. And as we think about that, this preparation is not easy. It is a battle. It is, it is hurtful. It is painful. The Christian life is never easy. But it is the amazing and often exciting process of Christ loving His bride. In Ephesians 5, we'll close with this. We're reminded that Jesus loves His bride, the church. And it says that Jesus makes His bride holy and clean. Wow. And then He goes on and He explains why Jesus makes His bride, you and I, holy and clean. He says this, He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. He's describing us, people. That is who we should be. That is honestly, positionally who we are, but more and more in practice and progressively looking more like Jesus so that as a bride, we would be without spot and wrinkle or any other blemish. Is that your desire? Is that our desire as a church that, Lord, by your work, by you just 
us allowing you to do your work, would you more and more make us look like the, the glorious bride that you want us to look like, clean and pure without spot or wrinkle? That is the work of the Spirit of God. I pray that we would yield to it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the amazing truths in it. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way within our hearts and to shape us, to correct us, to convict us, to instruct us, to control us, Lord, and to sanctify us. We know that this is your work. It isn't what what anybody else can do. And we thank you that you use your body, the church. We thank you that you very clearly use your life-giving, without-air word that we can live by to instruct us and to transform our hearts and minds. And so, Holy Spirit, would you have your way in our hearts and that ultimately that we would look the way that we actually are already. We're clean and pure and holy. And Jesus, it's all because of you. So thank you. We love you. We give you all the glory. In Christ's name we pray.